0: You're now tuned in to The Investor Show, where we teach simple wealth creation for the common investors with investment advisor, award-winning author, international speaker, and founder of Royal Financial Investment Group, Prince Dykes. Hey
1: guys, we're live here, the Prince of Investing, which I'm your host, Prince Dykes, coming all the way live from the beautiful state of Denver, Colorado, even though right now we're live in Hawaii, but you guys stay tuned, you guys keep it locked right here, right now. We're going to another amazing, great episode, and we still haven't gotten canceled. <laughs> so this is the thing, guys. As you guys can see in the description box, we have a very, very great topic today. For wherever you're catching us from, um, if you're catching the playback or you're catching the live feed, podcast, or whatever it may be, we're going to be talking about the next market crash. What is the next market crash? When is it possibly can be happening? This is a big question on everybody's mind. So we're going to be talking about that. And I got a very, very special guest. If you're a fan of the show and you've been following the show, you've seen him on here a couple times. You know, of course, I had to bring in a very special guest, 40-year Wall Street veteran, um, James Fortland. He's calling in. He's seen some great times, some bad times in his career, uh, being an investment advisor, being right there on Wall Street. So that's a lot of expertise. We're going to come in with that topic. So you guys keep it locked. Always. I don't have a lot of time. I definitely know you guys and girls gonna have a lot of time, but we're gonna jump straight into it.
0: What up, what up? It's your boy Vigo Sachi. This is the investor show and you're checking in with the investor genius,
1: Prince Dykes. Let's you know what get I'm it. it. We know you all wait, you're in New Jersey, you know, right there. Uh right over there by Wall Street, you're on Wall Street all the time, spend so much time there. And I know um, you give amazing tours because I took one there two years ago, myself, when I was on Wall Street. And you have a lot of history, a lot of knowledge of Wall Street. And I noticed that you were saying that the number one question you always ask is people saying, when is the next market crash? Right? Because you give that financial uh, crisis tour, people are wondering, when is the next one? What do you have to say
0: about that? I would say right now, I hear that question more than any other time since I've had anything to do with the business. And I don't know whether it's because the media is uh, so negative or whether it's because people see guys like Ray Diallo, who's a very famous investor, a billionaire, and he's always on TV saying, this reminds him of 1938 and things like that. I think that scares a lot of people. Um, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure the reason, but this is what I get all the time. And what I'm here tonight really to talk to you about is to tell people that, yeah, the market goes in cycles and yeah, we're going to have, we're going to have a crash and we're probably, you know, we've had, uh, I can, re- I remember 87, I remember 2000 I remember 2008, I've been through a bunch of them, and I've been through some minor ones. Um, People even older than me can tell me stories about the 70s, like in the middle of the 70s, during the oil embargo and during Watergate, there were also sort of crashes or really bad markets. what, what a lot of people are worried about now is they hear, oh, we have a lot of debt. Uh, interest rates are coming back up. I think mortgage rates hit a seven-year high. Um, people are concerned that the Federal Reserve had been printing a lot of money for a while to get us out of the 2008 crisis. Um, and now they're starting to sop up or or. Sort of slow down their printing. Um, I hear talk about the uh, uh, sort of an inverse re- uh, yield curve, where uh, the short-term rates are higher than the long-term rates. Um, but I'm I'm here tonight really to try to reassure people. First of all, what you have to do is you got to look at any market declines as opportunities. Um, in the long run. Uh, For most non-professional investors, if you just ride the market out and you keep a regular, uh, regularly reinvesting or dollar cost averaging, like I hear you talk about all the time, um, I think you have very little to worry about. It's like, you know, you go to Macy's and that coffee pot you want is on sale. Well, it looks a lot better at $30, Thirty dollars, and it did at one hundred and fifty dollars. And this is what, unfortunately, with the stock market, this is what people people get scared and they and they don't act, or they stop acting. Um, there's, I would say, right now the way it looks to me is there's we're still working out um, the effects of two thousand and eight. Uh, A lot of people call it a a credit crisis or a real estate crisis. Um, I I think more credit, I think it was just a credit, uh, a credit crunch was more to some degree. It, it, It was like a breakdown in the entire credit system. And... I think that uh, we have a lot of hangover from that time that um, when, particularly when President Obama came in at first, I think he was trying to reassure people and make people feel confident and make people feel safe. And, you know, as I do, like safety often eliminates a lot of opportunities. And so we had a kind of a very flat market. Yeah, people will go, oh, well, from the low, it was up this much or whatever. But the reality is the market really didn't move a whole lot for probably, really about 10 years. It didn't, it it wasn't, it didn't move a whole lot. Um, Now we have a new sort of a new regime in town uh, with some new ideas. uh, And we're trying to, Uh, unwind a lot of uh, the problems from 2008. And so there's uh, a lot of deregulation. There's been some tax cuts. Uh, Yes, interest rates. The Fed is right now very concerned. This is another thing that I think scares people all the time. Every time they have a Fed governor on TV, the Fed governor says, Well, the market, the the economy is racing along and we have very low unemployment and it's putting a lot of inflationary pressures and we're gonna have to start raising interest rates to kind of slow things down. And I would I'm I'm here tonight to kind of like dissuade a lot of these things. First of all, with unemployment, you have to remember, we had, a, we had a very big, we had a big level of non-participation in the workforce, uh, probably the highest level of non-participation since the 1970s, uh, and a lot of, and now with a lot of millennials, because they grew up in kind of a recessionary environment, they're very slow to turn to the workforce. So what I might have done when I was 16 or younger, I had a paper route, and I cut lawns and eventually, you know, I was a kid and I worked, you know, I worked a lot and did things for a lot of millennials. They're like, they're doing that when they're 24, or 25 instead of 17 and 18. Mm. And I'm not I, I, I'm not trying to be negative on millennials. It's just a different time and I think they're just going into the environment I grew up during the seventies. Things were bad during the seventies and probably a lot of my peers did not get involved and in, they were also late to go into the workforce because there weren't jobs and there and it and it was like a hard time and it was things weren't great. Um, I, I grew up a little different because I kind of was in a situation where I had to have money. So it, it, I just needed to work. It didn't, none of these, none of these things were really that relevant. Um, so, uh, but so I, so, so that's one. the other thing is interest rates. Like we see them going up a bit. Let's face it. They were at, they were below the mean. They were very low for a very long time, lower than the mean has been for probably the last 50 years. And by them raising now, we're only coming right back into like the norm. And we're still really not there yet. So I'm not I'm not really sure the interest rate increase is going to have the impact. Um Mm -hmm. I also you also see we hear a lot about the Fed unwinding its balance sheet, which is a really fancy way for to say that they're not going to print as much money anymore, basically. (laughs) And I think that uh when you go through a period of a lot of you know, printing money like crazy because that was the only tool. They were basically throwing money at people and hoping people would spend it. Um, unfortunately, when they do that, the net cause usually is that the money goes into the stock market. It kind of inflates uh, as financial assets go get inflated, really. Um, I think that that also is creating some unusual circumstances with the yield curve. Uh, a mm-hmm. lot of people... Uh, are very concerned about this inverse. So what does that mean? When when long-term rates are lower, because in the long run, they perceive a weaker economy coming, but in the short term, rates start to go up because they're trying to slow the... Cool off. They, the Fed always uses these, these euphemistic words. They say, we're trying to cool off the economy. And hmm. I, I just think that we went through a period of, you know, basically 10, 12 years... Where you had no growth in income for most people. In fact, you had a decline probably now, in income. Yes, yeah.
1: I had a one question. When you said we you when you're speaking about the yield rates, right, the two year, to five year, to ten year, why why are they advertising everything? Why are the yield rates so important to the stock market? Why I didn't see this.
0: Well, in the long run, you, you got to remember a lot of a, a, a lot of borrowing money and the ability to borrow money inexpensively. Like, for example, if I'm short of money, I now this probably wouldn't happen too much. It happens, but it still happens once in a while. Something might happen. I'm a little short. What do I do? I say, "Hey, mom, can I borrow them bucks?" Right? But if uh, if 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 General Motors is you know needs money, they have to borrow money on a huge scale. And uh, the price of that money, when it gets more expensive, it digs into their profits. And then it also may dig into their decision because they may say, hey, at this level of interest rate, we can't make the return, so it's not worth reopening that factory in Detroit, which would hire hundreds and hundreds of people. Um, We're just not, we're going to put that off for another couple of years until it's ready. If rates are low there's this view that, hey, it's cheap to borrow. Um, The the risk premium is lower. It's much less risk for me to borrow that money and then open that factory up and start making cars there. And so so it's often, I I think for, I, I think a lot of novice investors get very wrapped up in this stuff because if you watch like CNBC and things, they harp on all this all the time. For most of us, What's the issue? The real issue is to spend less money than we make and to take that difference and put it, you know, invest it into our future. And for a lot of people, that means buying stocks. And for a lot of us, what do we do? We make a plan. Well, the, the, what really makes that successful or not successful is whether we follow through with that plan. If I say every month I'm going to put $100 in the stock market and buy an index fund, I need to stick with that rain or shine. Whether those interest rates go up or down. All right. Now, now James, on a question I have before,
1: a listener that's listening right now, they're like, okay, well, I'm a novice investor. I'm looking to invest. Okay, this market is going to crash. So what if I just wait until the crash comes? Then I'll just buy in. What do you have to say to that person?
0: Well, first of all, like when you hear guys like there's 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 a lot of uh, uh, like I see these guys and I get very frustrated. Like you you've visited you went to you went to Berkshire and and you know you you see Warren Buffett and he's the man. But when a guy has a billion dollars, he can he can he looks at things a lot different than when you have a hundred dollars in your checking account, like. I got to pay the rent at the end of every month, and so do a lot of people. Warren Buffett, like, is kind of beyond that because he's, he's made a certain amount of money. So he, he doesn't he worries about, you know, whether his stake is medium rare. Like, you know, he's got other issues. Yeah. And so he gives a lot of advice based on the idea. I, I have so many people, when I was a broker, used to say, well, that's great for Warren Buffett. He has a billion dollars. He can hold his stock for 15 years. I got to I gotta pay college tuition for my kids in two years. What am I gonna do? Um, But I think for um, a smaller novice investor, right? When you start going at the beginning, the reality is, if you miss, like a lot of people, you hear this thing, oh, if you miss the 10 best days in 10 years, your return is greatly decreased. Well, when you're dealing with smaller amounts of money, a lot of that doesn't make a whole lot of difference. And I would mm-hmm. postulate that if you miss, if, if you're, you're a really bad timer and you miss the 10 best days and you miss the 10 worst days, it's all at the same time, you'll probably end up with a pretty decent return over the long run. It's, it's it's not gonna make a whole lot of difference. And a lot of the really good like when I when I looked back at the numbers and, and you and you, you humanize them, for example, after the eighty seven stock market crash in eighty seven, what were the ten best days in eighty seven? Well, three of them came two weeks after the stock market crashed in eighty seven. Okay, and then mm. you were almost back. You weren't quite back to the lows on the Dow, but you were pretty low once again. Even after the market drifted back down again, because it it reconsolidated before it finally got going. Um, so, for I think for a lot of investors, like smaller investors, don't outsmart yourself. The, the The game is in the plan. And you know what? If the market crashes tomorrow, things are a lot cheaper. That $100, I think I was telling you one time when I was on here, I had a stock that in 1987 was $177 a share, and it paid a huge, it paid about a four and a half five percent dividend, okay? I reinvested the dividend, and I was in a stock purchase plan for that bank. When the market crashed in 87, that stock went to $7, and the dividend was $4. It was huge. And guess what? I didn't know any better because it was too much of a hassle to pick up the phone and slow down the dividend reinvestment plan. I just left it. I didn't bother. I didn't even fool around. I didn't even look at it. (laughs) And you know what? When it paid those dividends, it bought a lot of shares. But within six months, that stock was all the way back up to $180 a share and the the time when it was way down, the amount of shares I added was was for at me at the time was a was an enormous amount of leverage mm. and and then that stock went up and up and after that it went up and up and up and up and eventually it got taken over by another bank and it 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 but it but it was like it's just like you gotta be when you're when you're when you're a a new investor or an inexperienced investor, and and some people always say it's time in the market. To me, it's 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 even simpler than that. It's stick with the plan, create a plan, and stick to it, and don't let anything. Well, um, sorry, and like you said,
1: that's great. I, I definitely agree with that. Get in with the plan, uh, whether even if you got with the index and just, you know, had the dividends reinvested. But the thing about it is, a person that you mentioned in the beginning, Ray Dalio, people read Ray Dalio's latest book, Principles, and they say, wow, he's like one of the most successful hedge fund managers of the guy's our a time. Genius.
0: The guy's a total
1: genius. I, I don't, I don't, I he's a genius. And, you know, I'm, you know, reading his book, Principles, lately, you know, as of now, but let's say if he turns around and he says, hey, I got 40%, 40% of this market and I'm doing this great, people are like, well, I want those returns. That's what I think investment is. What
0: would you say to that guy? I, I would tell people that, you know, what, What again, and I bring this up all the time, this is, this has become, it was, was sort of my mantra in the business. Uh, you get many people who get a very hot hand through certain market cycles. And you might get really smart guys like Ray Dahlia, who might even go 20 years as a hot hand. When I started, or when I first learned about the stock market, there was a guy named Robert Prechter. Robert Prechter made a chart in the 60s that charted the Dow all the way up to 1987, and he was within 20 points every single day, that whole entire period. I mean, that's a long run. That's that's, a, that's over 20 years. And <laughs> then, But then the market crashed in 87, which he predicted but then he never got on the horse again. He was never as good as he was before the crash. Uh, uh, But so it's hard to find a guru. Yeah, you can find a guy like Buffett, but let's face it. I mean, when I look at Buffett, And I look at some of his companies, I say, wow, he's a brilliant guy. He's a very smart investor. There's a lot more going on than what he, like this folksy sort of buy and hold, and I own a lot of stock, and I just sit with it, and I buy things I know. Well, I know a few things, and I know when I see stocks, companies like Gillette, which he owns a lot of, they charge $30 for a razor blade. I'm not buying a $30 razor blade no matter what. So if I'm not buying it, I think a lot of other people aren't going to buy it. And I can afford to buy a $30 razor blade, but there's no way I'm going to buy it. It's not It's not even in the realm of possibilities. And um, it, so sometimes I see things and I say, well, in the long run, that might end up being a problem. Maybe not in my lifetime, but eventually it might, it might catch up to that. Or it may not. They may adjust. Somebody at Gillette me say, hmm. These razor blades are really great, but they are kind of expensive. Maybe we need to—we got to figure this out. This is—we might be pricing ourselves out of our own market, and not because they're not great razor blades, because they are—they really are great razor blades. But it's just they're—I I can get one that's slightly, like a little, not quite as good for one tenth of the price. And so I, I, but what, I, what I see is what you really should look at is, well, it's hard to find somebody like Buffett that's almost always right in the long run or, or, or right, you know, continuously for 20, 30 years. Um, you can always find a lot of people who are wrong every single minute of every single day. And so, for small investors, what I would do is I just watch what they you, you you see. If everybody says the market, first of all, markets don't crash, and they get announced ahead of time on CNBC. Um, there's a guy named Jim Rogers who I often don't agree with stuff he says, yet yeah, he's another very smart long term and been very successful. And he always says that the next catastrophe comes from some place you totally don't expect. Like in in 2008, what really triggered it? Iceland went bankrupt. I, most people I know don't even know where Iceland is, <laughs> let alone, they didn't know Iceland had a bank. They didn't know Iceland had a stock market. They didn't know Iceland, like, they, they, they don't know anything about it. They think there's a few volcanoes and it's a little cold. Like, like, that. they don't know anything about it. So these things always come from places you don't expect. So instead of worrying about things that you have no control over, focus on things you have control over, which is regular reinvesting which you can, can you, I can put $100 a, a month everywhere or $200 or $500 or whatever it is, right? And, um, mm-hmm. and then also just recognize, or like, look at the media. Um, they're the perfect barometer for what not, not to do. What did they say on election night? Hillary Clinton was going to win by a landslide. Hmm, that didn't quite work out the way we expected, right? Um mm-hmm. then then they said Trump's gonna get elected, the market's gonna crash. It was up six thousand points in thirteen months. Another winning prediction. Like it like like and I'm not trying to promote Trump. I'm just saying like look at the i I'm, I'm just look at the media. They're like your weather vane for what not to do. Like if they're telling you the market's gonna crash, I would probably be buying like crazy. Like, and and mm. to me, the more negative they are, the more positive I am. What I'm, what my barometer right now is, what I watch every day is the day that CNN announces that they love Donald Trump is the day I'm going to sell everything and leave the country. Then I then I know <laughs> what's going on. <laughs> then it's time. Then it's time. Then the market really is going to crash, but but it, because mm-hmm. they're so they're so anti and they're and they've just continually been wrong. So like they're wrong. Their batting average is like a thousand percent. Like like we used to say on Wall Street, even a broken clock is right twice a day. They're not even right twice a day. They're never right. Mm. So as so I got a question,
1: right? if as a small investor, and you know another market is going to crash, is going to happen. What would you do? What would you say, hey, if there's some ways I can prepare for it, would you recommend taking some money, pot it in, in bonds? Would you kind of like, hey, put on some cash in order to be able to take advantage of the down market? Is there anything that you would say to like, hey, well, is it where I can kind of move around my portfolio as an investor to prepare for another, you know, downturn?
0: Well, I would always, first of all, as any when you first start, you want to build up an emergency fund. I think almost everybody will tell you that. So you want to have that extra money, whether it's because you need new tires on your car or because the market crashes. That's an emergency. Some people would tell me going on a vacation to Hawaii would be an emergency. That sounds like a pretty good emergency (laughs) to me, but I haven't quite quite pulled the trigger on that one. But like, like, so, so you need, that's first. And what I would do is if you see these huge sell-offs, you might, you might say, hey, this month, or you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to not buy, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have my Starbucks every day for a month. That's going to save me, what, a couple hundred bucks right there. So uh, you can you can generate that money if you really have to in the short run. Maybe I I don't want to give up Starbucks every day for the whole year, but for sixty days I could not have my Starbucks. I can rough it, and I'll just go and mm-hmm. I'll just make coffee at home, and I'm not going to have my fancy Starbucks. And look at all the money I'd save, right? There's my extra two hundred bucks to throw on a market or whatever. I think I think you you have to just be convinced. For example, we all know that we're eventually going to die, right? And what happens if you die tomorrow? Well, that would really be bad. I wouldn't want that to happen. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But it could it could happen. But yeah. I'd say the probability is not that high. That's the same way you look at a market crash. Yeah. It's, I, I'm sure we're going to have another market crash. Is it going to be tomorrow? I doubt it. Is it going to be in the next eight years? Probably. Is it going to be terrible? Is it going to be like eighty-seven, where we're going to recover from, be terrible and recover, or is it going to be like two thousand and eight, where it's going to kind of drag and drag? And, I don't know. I'm not sure yet. But yeah. like, so as an investor, we 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 have no control over that. So why worry about it? I can only look. What I can control is my long-term goals. I know what I want. What I, I know, and I know that in ten years. Hawaii is one of the only states I've never been to, so I'm going to go to Hawaii within the next 10 years. That's one of my goals. Mm. It's not going to yeah. happen tomorrow. It might even be the next <laughs> time we do a show, I might be there. Or I might go to <laughs> Colorado and visit you there. I, I was actually there last year at this time, so I was there. I was <laughs> there before you were, yeah. I went on a, I I was, I was invited to a conference. I went to the conference, and I, I spent a whole, like a whole week in Denver. And uh, so I was wow. there. But hey, so, oh. but it, it um, like I I just think you gotta look at it that way. Like 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 I had a I had a friend who uh, a former business partner. He was probably ooh, pushing you know seventy, but he was in really good shape. He worked out. He ate right. He he did, you know he drank. He did stuff, but always moderation. He was always very good. He was very health conscious his whole life. And what happens? Out of the blue, he gets cancer and he dies in like in two weeks. And wow! But you never like. On the other hand, I know I I had I know people who lived to be over hundred, and they and they smoked a cigar every day and they drank a martini every day and yeah they were in okay health but they really never gave too much thought about it and they just lived their life and they did whatever they had to do and they they did the best they could and you know what like I'm somebody if you say hey tomorrow um you're going to lose a lot of your money you're not going to have much money. I, when I was younger, I like there has been times in my life I haven't had any money, so I could I just adapt, I just adapt, adapt. And then and then there's other times when I have a lot more money. So, but I like you just you just have to be you have to be brave. You have to you have to have a little faith, like that you're going to live tomorrow. You have to have a little faith that your investments in the long run are going to work out. And if you look at the numbers over a hundred years. With all the ups and downs, the returns are pretty decent. I mean, there's no other way, and I just think trying to market time, especially when you're, you know, you're 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 trying to match yourself against people like Ray you're you're not you're not he's in he's genius land
1: now. And, now Jay, I, I was uh, we have this type the question. Well, if you're saying hey, just take my money and throw it into the index, what's the purpose of an investment? That
0: oh well, that's a good question well i actually a lot of times a good investor advisor is the guy who calls you up and says listen the market's down you need to buy more stock don't be a fool <laughs> don't chicken out and when you call screaming go, oh my god my stock is down i want to sell everything i'm going to run away and i he says no don't do it that's his purpose more than anything his purpose is to hold your hand and think of it this way when something goes wrong you can blame it all on him and then if things go right, you can say, "Look how smart I am." I'm gonna be like Warren Buffett, right? <laughs> like right, so, exactly. He's got a very important role there. But I, I, but a good investment advisor is is going to be somebody who's gonna you know grab your hand and pull you in those tough times and say, "Listen, don't give up the ship. We can do this." And you, like, I can tell you in 87, people were calling me up, telling me they were going to kill me. And like, they were, they were, they were ready to go for it. Wow. You know, and, and yet we survived. And then six months later, those same people were hugging me and buying me boxes of cigars because suddenly everything was back up. And like, there was love everywhere. There was so much love. I couldn't take it? it. What's your favorite state? My favorite state. Oh, boy. Oh, (laughs) your, your, your favorite cigar. Oh my favorite cigar. Oh. Well, I'm I'm like am I'm I'm kind of a wimpy cigar smoker, so I generally air towards the mild stuff. So usually things with a Connecticut wrapper that are kind of mild. Uh, like those Macanudos are great. I mean, yeah, I've smoked Cuban cigars and I smell like before they were lit. But I, I, I used to have a, I used to have a cigar company as a client and so that you know I used to smoke a lot of hand rolled stuff. I don't I don't do it as much anymore, but you can still find those places in New York and it's really cool see somebody make your cigar for you and then you smoke it. Like it's that's like the, one of the coolest things. Um and I, I like the socializing because if you go and smoke a cigar anywhere in the world, whether I'm in Hawaii, I'm in Colorado, I'm in New Jersey, I'm in New York, you can go into a cigar place, light up a cigar, and guys will you'll bond with everybody in there. Like it's this weird like we all smoke cigars, and especially nowadays, it's kind of evil. So you you're kind of like in this little club, like giggling about how you're smoking cigars, and everybody in the world thinks you're terrible people and stuff. It's kind of, you know, it's uh, mm. you know, it, it, it's it, it's 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 like anything else. Like if I thought I was going to smoke a cigar and die tomorrow, yeah, I wouldn't do it. But in the long run, I smoke one or two a month. What's, it's not really that big of a deal. At, right. at least it doesn't appear to be a big deal. Now, of course, if I get sick, I may say otherwise. Right? As an but, investor, but, it's the same, same
1: thing. Uh huh. You got, got it. to ask, before Sorry. we get out of here, we got we got to get rolling because you know, it's that time again. But what is something that you would like to leave with everyone out there, or what is some you know to that person or the people that's going to come and um, you know take the tour on Wall Street, the financial crisis tour? And they asking you that question, what is something you want to reiterate to them that you want them to take away?
0: Oh, they come to visit me and they do the tour, right? They, what you need to do is you study old crises, and then you, it helps you deal with the present day crisis. The, the crisis from 2008 is not going to be repeated. It's going to be a different crisis. But if you know a lot about it, it's the same thing happened as in 2008 as with tulip bulbs in the 1780s. It was the same thing. And um, interesting enough, there was actually a, uh, a banking crisis in 1792, and Alexander Hamilton led the first bank bailout, and it was very much done the same way that we handled 2008. And so, these, wow. so once in a while, you do get a repeat, but not that often. And I think for most people, if you if you learn, then you feel you say, okay, I know what's going to happen. Too much speculation, over things things going to blow up. That's bound to happen. When it happens, I'm this is how I'm going to I'm going to keep my head cool. I'm going to put my head down, and I'm going to I'm going to just buy right through this and just stick to the plan. And I'm going to come out of this thing smelling like a rose. If I panic and get out like in 87, you only lost money if you sold the stock, right? If you didn't sell the stock and you waited six months, you were like nothing ever happened. In fact, you were probably ahead of where you were at the top. You were already a new high. So I think my point is, like, again, I'm going to go back to this thing. We don't think we're going to die tomorrow. The same goes for investing. We don't think the market's going to crash tomorrow. It might, but I doubt it. So we have to just we have to take every day on faith. We can only control what we can control. I can only control what I can put in the market every week. I can only control what goals I have. I can focus on your career, make more money, invest more money. Like focus on your life, take care of your wife, your girlfriend, your kids. Like focus on that stuff. That investing gives you the opportunity to do more of those things.
1: So, James, as always, thanks for having you on. Uh, thanks for uh, you coming in. As always, guys, this is The Investing Show. I'm your host, Prince Dice, coming all the way live from the beautiful state of Denver, Colorado. Until the next video podcast, a cartoon, or whatever you see me do crazy around the globe, peace, be safe, I'm out, and thank you. <laughs>